0: Aeschylus announces, quote, I see Prometheus, and over my eyes a mist of tears and fear spread as I saw your body withering ignominiously upon this rock and these bonds of adamant. For there are new rulers in heaven, and Zeus governs with lawless customs that which was mighty before he now brings to nothing, end quote. No narration like this, of course, is ever said of God in the book of Job. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 246, Job versus Aeschylus. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. The book of Job is in many ways unlike the other books of the Bible. As Ray Jonathan Sachs once put it, it is, quote, surely the most unusual book ever to be included in a canon of sacred texts, end quote. And he writes further to describe the many minds it has inspired, quote. Tennyson called it the greatest poem of ancient and modern times. Carlyle described it as one of the grandest things ever written. Thomas Wolfe spoke of it as the most tragic, sublime, and beautiful expression of loneliness which I have ever read. Yet, Ray Sachs continues, these descriptions fail to capture the radical presence of the book in the context of the Bible as a whole. Job, he adds, is a sustained cry of pain at the inequity of fortune, a cry that penetrates to the heart of heaven and threatens to shake the foundations of the world, end quote. As we further ponder this book, I would like to propose that in understanding its significance, we also need to compare Job not only to other books in the Bible, but also to two other texts, one written in ancient Greek, the other in modern Yiddish. Let us return to the opening of the book of Job, the discussion between Satan and God. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Who is Satan, and what is the context of this conversation? In Jewish tradition, Satan is not a rebel against God, but rather a member of the divine court, whose role is to serve as prosecutor or accuser. Thus we can imagine Satan, as he mentions in this passage, surveying the world and witnessing the fallibilities and sinfulness of mankind. It is with this in mind that Rabbi offers his own explanation of the conversation that we just cited. Quote, The author of Job sets out the problem with unparalleled boldness. He imagines the accuser challenging God himself. Where is there even a single individual to justify the risk, the wager you took in creating humankind? God's reply is Job. Here he says, as a man without sin who loves God, keeps his commands, thanks him for the good and does no evil. The accuser's reply is dismissive. How can Job be of vindication? You have blessed him, therefore he blesses you. But if you were to curse him, he would curse you. His is not disinterested love. It is egoism allied to good fortune. Remove his fortune and you will find that you will have erased his faith, end quote. Understood this way, at least according to Rabbi Sachs's interpretation, what follows in the book of Job is a disproving of Satan's accusation. Job's fortune is removed. And while he does curse the day he was born, and while he does issue complaints to God, the one thing that never disappears is his feeling of the presence of the personal God to whom he speaks. Thus, after Job curses his day, and after his so-called friend, Eliphaz, attempts to justify the suffering that has come upon Job, Job himself complains to God. Chapter 7, verse 11. Therefore I will not refrain my mouth, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaints. Then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. What is man that thou shouldst magnify him, and that thou shouldst set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldst visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long will thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? In his incredible book on Job, Rabbi Yaakov Medan notes a shift in this passage. Originally, in the earlier chapter, when Job cursed the day that he was born, he spoke of God in third person. But here, when Job speaks, it may be with language that is not respectful, but it is in second person. Feeling abandoned by his friends who offer no true empathy, Job speaks in second person intimately to God. And note as well that even in the midst of complaining, Job speaks in awe of the greatness of God, who is far beyond man. As down further notes, Job's sentence, what is man that thou shouldst magnify him, is a clear parallel to the psalm's adoration of God. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the point to all of this, he writes, is that even at this terrible time, when we are not close to the resolution of the book, the path leading Job to his ultimate relationship That he will have with God at the book's conclusion is already there, for God is to him a living presence from this moment. Understood this way, the cry that Job issues has a profound religious sentiment to it. There will be, of course, phrases in this book from Job that the rabbis of the Talmud will see as examples where, in their view, Job steps over the line. But Job's cries issued at God are issued because his belief in God's existence and nearness is so profound. Indeed, one of the most striking aspects of the story is that we as Job's friends, as we mentioned yesterday, are eager to philosophically and theologically explain why Job's sufferings have occurred. We never sense their own relationship with the divine. Or as Rabbi Sachs put it, quote, his companions talk about God, Job talks to God, End quote. In this, we can compare Job and his book to a well-known Jewish literary figure from a work written thousands of years later, which is Tevye the Dairyman of Shalom Aleichem. Tevye is simple, to be sure, and he lacks the sophistication of Job, but his sense of God's existence and nearness is constant. If you read the stories of Tevye, which are, of course, as Yiddish scholars note, very different from the film's depiction, you witness a man who, in his simplicity, struggles with the injustices of life, and yet does so with a very sense of the biblical God. And this point is not my own. Hillel Halkin in his preface to his translation of Tevye, cites Shalom Aleichem's son-in-law, who wrote as follows, For that Shalom Aleichem had in his own way a most religiously sensitive personality, of this I have not the slightest doubt. On the table by his bed always lay a small open Bible that he would read now and then, especially at night when he had trouble sleeping. I suspected that he was mainly reading the book of Job, and once indeed, when he began to test me on my knowledge of it, I was astounded by his familiarity with it especially when I thought of how hard we had found it in the schoolroom when we were young. Quote. Thus, we can see the stories of Tevye as embodying a theme that stretches back to the Jewish Bible. Halkin, therefore, describes the import of a simple dairyman attempting to put forward his complaints to God in the following way. Quote, Shalom Aleichem, it is true, is not often thought of as a religious writer. Religious observance, though constantly referred to in his work as part of the everyday fabric of Jewish life, does not play an especially important role in it and genuinely spiritual figures are rare there. Indeed, this was one of the reasons that Y.L. Peretz, his leading rival among the Yiddish writers of the day and the author of much edifying fiction, dismissed Shalom Aleichem as a basically low-brow figure who never grappled with ultimate Jewish issues. Humor in general, though by no means an illegitimate medium for serious religious expression, is not commonly put to that purpose. Yet, having said all this, I would submit that Tevye the Dairyman the common, tragic historical account of the death of an ancient culture and psychological analysis of a father's unhappy love for his daughters is also one of the most extraordinary Jewish religious texts of our own, and perhaps of any time. End quote. Tevye's tales are stories of struggles, but also of faith. And when we go back to the divinely inspired biblical book of Job, we can, according to Rabbi Sachs, say the same of Job's story. In this vein, we can turn to another comparison, this time a contrast. Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein once, in a Chanukah lecture on Judaism and Hellenism, contrasted Job with Aeschylus's work Prometheus Bound, utilizing that ancient Greek text to reflect on the difference between Jerusalem and Athens. Rav Lichtenstein reflected as follows, quote, The myth of Prometheus presents him as a bold individual who went up to heaven and stole fire from the gods in order to bring it down to mankind. For this he was punished by Zeus, who chained him to a rock for the rest of his life. While chained to the rock, he sings and declares his objection to the actions of the gods, thus expressing his sovereignty and independence. This presents a certain similarity to Eov, a comparison already dealt with by many, from two points of view. Firstly, as regards the subject, a person who is controlled by a higher force, and second, from the point of view of the book's structure. for Eov, meaning the Book of Job, is quite unique among the books of Tanakh in terms of its outstanding dramatic structure. It contains almost a classic Greek drama, each character expresses himself in turn, monologue, responds, etc., end quote. So Rabbi Lechitzin reflects about Sefer Eov, meaning the book of Job. And yet, as Rabbi Lechitzin goes on to note, the attitude of Aeschylus toward the divine being who has put Prometheus in this place is very different from the biblical book's attitude to the biblical God. I would note as an example what the chorus in Aeschylus announces, quote, I see, Prometheus, and over my eyes a mist of tears and fear spread as I saw your body withering ignominiously upon this rock and these bonds of adamant. For there are new rulers in heaven, and Zeus governs with lawless customs that which was mighty before he now brings to nothing, end quote. No narration like this, of course, is ever said of God in the book of Job. That is why, similar as Job might initially seem to Greek tragedy, it is actually very different. As Rav puts it, quote, At the same time, along with the parallels, there is a clear and sharp contrast. The difference expresses itself in the way in which the dialogue is conducted and in the description of the hero. Aeschylus, with his keen sense of justice, rails against a situation in which a person who has performed the great favor to humanity is punished, although he has committed no wrong. There is conflict here between power and justice. The tragedy is that although these two values should work together in harmony, they are in fact in conflict here. And ultimately, it is power which prevails, end quote. This is not a theme that Job emphasizes. There will be moments, as Rabbi Lichotzin notes, when according to rabbinic opinions of the Talmud, Job's words merit criticism. But Rabbi Lechitzin adds, quote, at the same time, these opinions must be seen within a broader context. Eov knows his place in relation to the Holy One. It never enters his mind that he is engaging in battle against an equal opponent. And Rabbi Lechitzin adds that, unlike the Bible, quote, in the Greek perception, There is no fundamental difference between man and his gods. The gods may perhaps be wiser, stronger, and richer, but the difference is not a qualitative one. And this means that it is only in the Bible where one can have a relationship with the divine that is simultaneously one of awe and also one founded on a sense of the personal presence of God. Or as Rabbi Lichtenstein has it, quote, when we see gods as humans, only slightly more sophisticated perhaps, or as philosophical abstractions, then there is no longer any room for a sense of fear, awe, or majesty, end quote. For the Greeks, the divine is not someone we address plaintively as Job does. Job, who, even in the midst of his complaints, feels God's presence and also exhibits awe at who God is, even as he speaks directly to God. And if Tevya, a character inspired by Job, could be depicted as feeling this way. Even more interesting is the fact that so many thousands who read about Tevye in the original Yiddish loved the character so much because they identified with him, showing that there was a time when many Jews felt God's personal presence in the midst of their daily lives. The book of Job is itself complex, interpreted differently throughout the centuries by Jewish philosophers, scholars, Talmudist, theologians. But in the midst of our analysis, we must not miss the simple poignancy of Job's shift to second person, speaking while suffering, directly to God. And we must ponder those throughout Jewish history who felt God's presence like this, and react to their example with admiration and indeed with awe. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.